What is up, After Hours Entrepreneurs? Welcome to the show. Today's episode is, is absolutely fantastic. We're joined by David Hauser. And David Hauser is an After Hours Entrepreneur. He started back uh, about 20 years ago when he founded or co-founded Grasshopper, which inevitably was purchased, acquired by Citrix for $175 million. Pretty big payday there for David. But David didn't stop there. He moved on to his next project, superfat.com, which is all about keto, keto snacks, eating healthy food. Very different from what he was doing with Grasshopper. And I think what you're going to really appreciate, enjoy about this episode is David's wisdom and ability to locate problems, solve problems, and then build organic excitement around it. That's that's what this episode's all about. So if you're looking for a problem to solve, you're trying to build your side hustle, you want to go full-time, you really want to create something meaningful, this episode is for you because David is going to give you some really, really in-depth behind-the-scenes tips that I haven't heard anywhere else that are really going to help you take to the next level. So sit down, listen up, get your popcorn ready. This is a great episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I also want to give you an invite. Hit me up at mark at marksmontmedia.com. If you ever thought about creating a podcast, creating a YouTube channel, creating an experience for listeners, for fans, I'm telling you, it can absolutely explode your business, magnify your message, and I can certainly help you with that. Hit me up at mark at marksmontmedia.com. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you about that topic. Anyway, with all that said, let's get to this episode. I think you're really going to enjoy it. David is just going to lay out tons and tons of great tips for up-and-coming entrepreneurs just like you and me. So let's get into this episode with David Hauser. David Hauser, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark, for having me. David, it is absolutely my pleasure. You've done some really amazing things. So I kind of want to back it up. I want to go back to the future a little bit here and kind of start with the foundation of Grasshopper, which is just an incredibly, incredibly amazing success story. I'm curious. How many failures and how many businesses did you have leading up to that that one success with Grasshopper? Yeah, so it's really interesting. We had um, a number of different businesses. I started stuff in high school. I did all sorts of side projects. I did web design. I tried my hand at a lot of different stuff. Um, Grasshopper, though, I started when I was still in college. So um, I had had a number of other businesses. Grasshopper was one that we really built the biggest. Like that was my first bigger company. Um, and you know, so there was lots of little failures or lots of little businesses that did not become big enough to matter. Right. So even if something didn't fail, it was just kind of a small side business. Um, and it wasn't something I could turn into a long-term business. Sure. When I think, I mean, that's been my experience too, with speaking with other people and myself is you, you keep kind of trying these different things until you find something that people start to really get magnetized to. Was there a particular moment with Grasshopper where you were like, we're on to something. We got something special here. Yeah. So I can remember that. Um, so it was my junior year of college at Babson College. And so I was going to classes. I was starting the business, doing all sorts of things. And I can remember um, knowing when we, when I could no longer handle customer ser- service phone calls myself. Um, I was like, okay, th- this is a good problem to have, but <laughs> it's a problem because people are buying our service. Um, and then the key piece when we started to dig a little bit deeper there were people were referring their friends, right? So we weren't actively out there asking referrals. We weren't doing anything, but we were getting over 30 or 40% of new customers from referrals, which is just, that was a clear signal at that point. Like something is fitting really well with our core market. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of the holy grail of marketing. Everyone is always talking about word of mouth, word of mouth, word of mouth, but that's something that's really difficult to actually make happen. 
Is there anything specifically that you did in your business strategy to facilitate that? No. I mean, over the years, we got much better at, you know, accentuating that, asking for referrals, um, making sure that it was easy to refer, doing all those things. But initially, like, we just didn't know. Um, and I think we just had built a product that the market really wanted. Uh, and we offered it at a reasonable price. And people were like, well, I've been looking for this and I couldn't find it. So I'm going to tell my friends. Right. And it was just started naturally happening, um, which is why for us, it was a clue that something was working here. Yeah. So from what I'm hearing is you're trying different things. You found a service or product that was going to really fit into a vacuum in the market. Something where there was an absence, which is something another common denominator with successful entrepreneurs that I've spoken with. I, I want to kind of back it up just a little bit because you're saying that you're going to college, you're doing this in your after hours. Look, I get it. After hours entrepreneurship, super hard. How did you find the time? Were you exercising, playing basketball, hanging out with friends? What were you doing in your free time? Yeah, I didn't have a lot of free time. Um, <laughs> and I quickly had to consolidate so consolidate my classes into like two days a week because um, now that I could, it was very difficult being in the class where I had to be disconnected, right? Yeah. Even if I had my computer there or something like that, I couldn't be on the phone. I couldn't connect with people or customers or things I had to do. So I consolidated the next semester down to two days a week and just packed those two days. So in essence, I was out of the office during the day during those two days and worked in the evenings. Um, but that gave me three other full work days where I could be in the office and you know fully engaged, right? Um, I didn't have a lot of free time. I was not exercising like I should have. I was not doing, there was a lot of things that got left out. I also wasn't sleeping well. Like I, I would stay up all hours working. So I'm kind of curious if you were to go back and, and talk to yourself at this time, would you say, Hey, calm down, exercise more? Or would you say, Hey, keep on this track, keep in the season and you know, yeah. you'll find the time to do that later. What would you say? That, that's a really hard question. Like, I want to say that I would tell myself to do better, eat better, exercise, sleep. Um, but quite honestly, like that was part of how we were successful, right? Mm. We just put in more time than other people did. Um, we were really, we hustled no matter what, right? We had no money. So we had to cut deals with vendors. Like we did whatever it took. And part of that was not sleeping as much, right? Yeah. Um, so I know the easy advice is like, yeah, I should have done better, right? But in reality, I think that contributed to the success, right? And it, it's it's part of a balance in life. And life balance is not just about in the moment. It also has ups and downs over time, mm -hmm. right? And maybe that time was just a portion of my life that was not as balanced where it should have been, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of look at it as kind of a sense of seasons, right? Kind of putting your priorities in place and saying, hey, this is my priority. I'm going to go all in on this because there's weeks where I just don't exercise nearly as much as I would particularly like to. Um, but I think there's a certain point we've got to say, hey, the scale is starting to tip. I'm not, you know, I'm not spending any time with my kids now. So was there, did you put any sort of like internal safeguards in place to say, hey, we're, we, we've just hit the 200 mark or are we just saying I'm going all in? There were no safeguards, right? Maybe, maybe that was the mistake. But again, like I was young enough in college. So what yeah. I was replacing kind of time-wise was not time with family or kids, mm -hmm. right? Or time at home. It was time at parties, yeah. time studying, time doing other things, right? So um, if you look at kind of the life cycle of that period of life, right? I was probably sleeping the same amount as any other college kid. What I was doing in my sleep, non-sleeping hours was probably vastly different, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's super smart. If I had to go back and talk to my 20 year old self it would be, hey, maximize this time, this time matters. And I think now 
in 2020, 2021, et cetera, it matters even more so than ever because things are moving so, so quickly, so rapidly. Another thing I'm kind of interested in, David, you and your uh, co-founder really bootstrapped this project, right? That's uh, Cymac, right? Cymac, yeah. CIMAC. How important was it having a partner there to kind of keep you on that steady path? Yeah, it's it's been super important. We still do all of our businesses together, wow. you know, now 20 years later or whatever amount of time. Um, and people always ask me, it's like, how'd you find your partner? How'd, they, how'd you know the right fit? Like all these things. I mean, again, it was total mistake, right? Like we did all of the things wrong, but I can identify the things that worked, which is we had very complementary skills that didn't overlap. Um, we are f- open and free to challenge each other, right? Like we have no qualms or fears about saying, no, I don't think so. That's not right. I don't believe that. And then coming back together, um, we weren't friends going in. We've become friends, which I think is an important factor, right? Like we weren't trying to balance a previous friendship with now business. Hmm. We were building a business and becoming friends, right? Which I think is a, is a, is a nuance, but important. Um, but yeah, I mean, times when you're in a business, there's just you feel down that day and someone else feels up, right? Like those little things matter a lot. Uh, and then of course the details, right? Like someone might be good at design or marketing and someone else good at tech or whatever the, the other skill sets are. But a lot of like, sometimes it's just as simple as I don't feel like doing this today and I need someone's help. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of the same concept with having a workout partner, right? Cause some days you just don't want to go to the gym, but if your workout buddy shows up, picks you up, takes you there, you're almost forced by association in that in that commitment to get there. So when one of the things that I think is really cool about what you did, David, is because like let, let's let's face it, a lot of the after hours entrepreneurs out there, we don't have a ton of funding, we don't have a ton of cash. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to bootstrap it, and that's something you uh, were very successful with. Why did you not go to the well and start raising a bunch of capital, which is really popular nowadays? Yeah. So for us, you know we had two struggles. One is we had no clear exit plan. Like we just wanted to build a business that we loved. We wanted to be at every day and was doing something valuable. That's hard to go and put a story around to raise money. Right. So like there, there was that conflict. And then two, um, I had raised money in the past for another business. Um, and it wasn't necessarily a bad experience, but I didn't love having to satisfy other people's desires for how they saw the market. Right. And so the best example of how this played out for Grasshopper is we had a funded competitor, um, had hundreds of millions of dollars of funding. Right. And we knew exactly where they were going because we heard the same voices from the same VCs, which is you need to go up market. You need to offer voice over IP. You need to go up market. You need to go up market. Right. We did the opposite and grew a tremendously successful business because we didn't have those same voices telling us again and again, go up market, go up market. We said, no, we're gonna stick with the people we know, the people that we can service, which are micro entrepreneurs, small businesses, one to 10 employee companies, not how do we get to 200 person companies and sell to them, right? And I think it proved out, right? That company went public. That's a good success for the investors, not necessarily the greatest success for the founders. Right. I think if you look at our personal success as founders, we had more liquidity by doing it ourselves and doing it the way we wanted to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you hit on something that I think is really true. Like all over the internet, everyone's saying sell high ticket, sell high ticket, sell high ticket. And it, it feels like it kind of leaves the little guys behind. And, and I think that's probably why 
like you had mentioned, Grasshopper was so successful. It, it met that specific need and you stayed true to that specific need the whole time. So I'm going to kind of back it up even just a, a little bit more as you're, as you're kind of building this out. And I just want to just clarify with everyone, you can see everything that David's doing at davidhauser.com. He's got a newsletter. You want to get on it. You want to stay informed because he knows what the heck is happening out there. Listen, this guy's, this guy's living, this guy's living it. Um, and we, we're, we haven't even gotten into your new project yet. But when you're building out your business, I think one of the scariest parts in this whole entrepreneurship journey is making your project, making your business available to everyone out there, right? You kind of have this perfection paralysis where no, I'm, just, I'm just not ready to do this yet. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? What, how can you help get people over that hump? Yeah, so this this is a really good example of where my partner helps. So like, or why I help him as well, where, you know, he has that perfection in terms of how it looks and how it feels and design being very important. I have the opposite. I'm like, no, I don't care about any of that at the time. I've, I've learned to care about that more now. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, no, just put it out, put it out, put it out. Right. And I think we erred on the side of just put it out. And it worked, right? And I wasn't necessarily the proudest of how it looked or, you know, there was bugs and problems and whatever else. However, people were paying and people were signing up. And in my mind, that's all that mattered. Yeah. So there's a balance, right? But in general, I kind of err on the side of just put something out there if someone's willing to pay for it. I, I think that's really smart too, because it's, it's hard to really predict what's really going to hit people you know some of the thumbnails and the videos that i create that i don't expect to do much like i have a video now that's reached over over 100,000 people now on youtube and i just i didn't really expect that at all so it's it's you kind of have to listen to the market and and listen if you don't put your work out there people you're never gonna you can't you can't get that feedback you know you, you know you don't know if your joke is funny unless you tell it you know what i yeah. mean you see so you gotta you gotta start putting it out there so you, you've scaled up the business going great. And I'm, I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit. Um, you get this exit, $175 million, right? C crazy, like wildest dreams. When you were starting out, did you ever expect they would ever get to that particular point? Or did it just happen with the good practices you'd build over time? Yeah, we both never expected it and didn't really want it, right? Like this, this wow. was a really hard challenge where we never wanted to sell this business, right? Even up to the day that we sold, like it wasn't what we had seen for the business and how we had built it, what we wanted to do. We built something we loved with people we loved, a culture that was important to us, like all of those things. And what I learned from that was the, the things that you do to build a great business make a valuable business. It's not the other way around where people say like, how should I build a business for exit? I, I don't know. Right. But I can tell you that there are very specific things to do to build a valuable business for yourself. It happens to be that that makes it a valuable acquisition target in the long run. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a year and a half process of selling the business where, you know, we questioned it many times. Like, should we do this? Should we not do this? Uh, it was very uh, emotional decision. Yeah, it's kind of like giving your baby up for adoption in a way, not to get too, too coarse because, you know, when you're building 12 a years. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a bit. It's a big deal. It becomes your your entire life. And I can kind of understand that as, as, a, as an after hours entrepreneur myself, you get so attached to these things. It's really hard to pivot or know when it's time to pivot. You mentioned something in that last point here, David, that you, you know, at least in your case, the specific factors of a, a business that works for you. Could you go into some of those key factors? Yeah. So the, the things that are important to me are one, providing value to our customers directly. So I don't like businesses uh, like Facebook, right? Um, they Maybe they provide a valuable thing to people in general, but I like being able to 
talk to my customers and have paying customers. Like it just feels good to me. Right. Um, and so that, that puts me away from certain businesses, right? Like consumer tech and things like that, where there's third party payers and, you know, such, mm-hmm. um, I, I also care a lot about our customers. So I want to engage a group of customers that I believe in, and I'm probably part of, right? So take grasshopper. I was an entrepreneur selling to entrepreneurs, right? Take super fat. I've eaten the ketogenic lifestyle for many years. I'm selling ketogenic products, right? Like these are customers I care about because it's me, right? Um, so those things are important. And I think when people say find a passion in your business, right? Like everyone says that, I think that's what they really mean, which mm. is, are you passionate that you would sell this product to yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it, if <laughs> that's a good litmus test, would you actually use it? That's one of the reasons that one of my first podcasts that I was really passionate about all about fatherhood is still in syndication, the awesome dad show. You can still listen to it. But as I'm creating and I'm, I'm realizing this isn't the type of show that I actually want to listen to. Right. So let's produce something that I will actually be interested and learn from, which is how the After Hours Entrepreneur got started. So really, really solid advice. You get more solid advice at DavidHauser.com. You can join the free newsletter and see everything that David's doing. Hey, Mark here. Thank you for listening. I'm glad that you are enjoying this episode with David and learning along with me. I listen to all my episodes and quite frankly, I'm really enjoying this one. We're about to get into the formulation of his new company, Super Fat. So if you've enjoyed what we've been talking about so far, make sure to smash the subscribe button. Go ahead and share it out on your social media channel. And let's get into the rest of this episode with David Hauser. Okay, cool. David, I want to kind of segue a bit. You've gotten this big exit, right? You're, you know... You've probably got a lot of free time now, right? All free to read. Why not just take it easy, lay on a beach? Why segue into developing superfat.com? What was the motivation there? Yeah, so I actually took a year off. Um, okay. And this was very clear advice I got from a number of people that had gone through big exits where you can do stuff, but it take at least a year where you don't fully commit to things, right? Because the natural tendency of entrepreneurs is just like rush into the next thing, right? And I like, trust me, I was ready the next day to rush <laughs> into things. So I'm, I'm glad people gave me that advice. So I took a year, learned things, tested out different stuff, worked with some VC accelerators, worked with some investments that I had, you know, made investments into those, those companies, um, just did a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, what was very clear to me at the end of that year was my desire in life had shifted, uh, to be much more about how do I empower myself to be better? Um, and as part of that process, I found how do I empower other people to be better? Right. Um, And I think health is part of that. So as I looked at the number of factors that are involved, food was a clear piece. Mm -hmm. Right. We looked at building technology. You know, how do you change habits? Like a lot of other things. And the core of it all comes down to food. Right. And if we're not fueling our bodies with high quality whole foods, a lot of the other stuff doesn't matter. Um, And I decided if I'm going to make a change, I need to participate in that and make a change internally rather than complain about it. Uh, so we started building Superfat, uh, which today provides a number of ketogenic snacks, um, nut butters, cookies, a bunch of new products coming out. Um, but, you know, we live by those rules, like whole foods, real ingredients, um, no junk and no fillers, like the stuff that I care about. Awesome. Awesome. So you, you hit on a couple of interesting points. And I want to kind of dive. I want to go a little bit deeper into Superfat because it's really fascinating what you're building out there. But from what I'm hearing you say, big exit, huge win. Take a deep breath. Don't make any emotional rashes. Take a deep breath. Talk. Think it out. And I, I can't. And and honest, the biggest thing is, I think, is learn. Right. So I spent that year 
learning, learning about myself, learning skills. Do I, I did a 200 hour yoga teacher training in that period of time. I did, uh, I learned, I tried to learn to play golf. I'm not very good at it. Right. Like I, I think the key is how do you expand yourself? Right. And the most important piece is learning. So I learned about other industries, other companies, investments, all of these things, but the common across the board was learning. I love that. I love that. David Hauser, that's, that is a great tip. Keep learning. I like trying the different things. That's something I'm huge on right now is getting comfortable with discomfort, trying different things, trying to learn more about yourself. It really, really smart advice. Actually. I think a lot of people can, can take that to the bank. Um, so cool. So we we've got that you've learned about yourself. You take a quick break. We're going to all in on superfat.com, which is creating amazing keto snacks. You can take anywhere. Okay. I, I, I'm, I, I watch a lot of shark tank and I got to ask you, why the heck, why the heck are we getting into food? Terribly, terribly competitive. Nobody makes money. Why get into food distribution? Yeah. So, uh, this is the joke, right? Like I went from a high margin, uh, software business, repeatable process, highly scalable to a low margin, uh, inventory intensive business. Right. Um, uh, I think to some extent, like, you know, being able to self-fund it has given me the option to, to do that. Right. So part of that's an, just an internal thing. But again, for me, it's really about like, how do I empower change? Mm-hmm. And that for within food, I think has to be done within the food industry. Right. Like if I want to make a change about what people eat, I can complain about it. I can talk about it. Not much is going to happen. Right. If I really want to make a long-term impact, it has to be done from within that industry and that's within the food industry and that's getting more attention to products like what we produce not just us like there are lots of great people but it's hard to get attention to them and it hopefully if we can continue to build that that's a success yeah well it's it's certainly in a probably i mean we've got a lot of problems but it's one of the bigger problems that i don't think is being talked about enough is is health i mean that's probably one of the reasons you're seeing covid19 really impacting us in such a negative ways because we can't freaking eat right. We're eat, eating soda and junk food and, and a lot of carbs like you've, you've, I've heard you talk about. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about your product and what's making it successful. How do you differentiate yourself in such a crazy competitive market, David? Yeah, I mean, and what's really interesting is even the keto market has become more competitive. Yeah. And some of our competitors complain about it that I talk to, but I actually think it's good as that tide rises, we all do better. So mm-hmm. I prefer to see more products. Uh, for us, one, uh, branding. Uh, we care a lot about branding. So we've sp- spent a lot of time in the brand, the name, um, you know, how we uh, put out our products, the images we use, things like that. Um, because I do think, you know, from a direct-to-consumer standpoint, branding matters a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, two, the, the products and what we believe in, um, A, we're always producing products that I would personally eat and I would love to eat, right, that my kids will enjoy. Um, the biggest problem I always had in a lot of these products different foods is in the ketogenic market specifically, there's foods that fit the, you know, macronutrient profile on the label and just taste like crap. Right. (laughs) And people eat them because there's no other option. Right. And so we always went taste first and hitting the label requirements. Right. So like if my kids aren't asking to have these cookies instead of regular cookies, that's a problem. Right we've not created the right product. And luckily they, they like these cookies and they're super picky. So um, it is a great litmus test, but I mean, putting in high quality ingredients that taste good and hit the label requirements. I think that's a, a big enough, big enough differentiator. Okay. That's, that's, I mean, obviously super important. And 
I think you could pay tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on focus groups. But if your kids will eat it, that's a pretty good indicator. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you there. Um, so another thing that I'm, I noticed just on your website, which is uh, superfat.com. If, if you can't remember that, I don't know what to tell you. Superfat.com. Um, these are a bunch, they're pouches, yeah. right? These are pouches. That, that's what I feed to my, my one-year-old, two-year-old. Are these for adults? <laughs> yeah. So our first product was a nut butter in a pouch that you would see like a, a applesauce or, you know, a kid's thing. Um, we really wanted something that was easy to travel with, not messy. Um, we've expanded from there from the individual packs to larger packs. Um, we now have cookies, which come in a, in a bag. Uh, we have three other products launching in about a month um, in the baking categories as well. So uh, a lot of other things. But yeah, my initial product was just nut butter in these little packets. And it was a unique packaging for our market. So is it just a single SKU? Uh, we had five SKUs when we launched, five flavors, right. single product line. I mean, that seems smart too. That's, I think, another problem a lot of these food producers get into. Again, going back to Shark Tank, which they got like a hundred different SKUs and all these different flavors, very, very complex. So keeping it simple, I, simple. I think a lot of people also make a mistake in food and they name their company after their first product, right? Mm. Like we could have named it, you know, keto nut butter or something, right? Then what do you do? Right. Yeah. Or acai something or whatever it is. Right. And now you're stuck and you can't do any line extensions. You can't continue to expand. You can't listen to the market and say, Oh, the market's saying what I really want now is, not keto or is like you can't make any of those changes if you're named something keto right that's that's a good point i mean that that bring i'm reading uh, patrick bet david's new book five moves uh, your next five moves and that that speaks to that completely is is kind of saying hey we're going to start here but we're going to go but that's another hard thing you don't really know exactly what's going to happen with your business right like maybe people don't do the nut butter but they like the i don't know the jelly or, or something like that right yeah cookies or whatever it is right and you don't know yeah you know, I like that a lot. So another thing that's really popular in the game right now is affiliate links and content marketing, paying Kylie Jenner to, you know, take down a pouch of nut butter or whatever. Is that something that's on your radar? How are you getting the name out there? Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely work with influencers. Our theory around that is we'll happily provide free product to influencers that fit our target, but we don't pay for influencers, right? Mm -hmm. We want people that actually genuinely are interested and engage um, with what we're doing and like what we're doing because they like it, not because we paid for a post, right? Um, affiliate, I think, is a, is a key part of that. We're happy to compensate people for sales that they generate, um, but paying influencers for exposure, I think is a, a generally failed game uh, for almost any brand, right? There are unique situations that I would say is different, but in general, uh, we don't believe in it. And I, I don't think it's a useful technique. It can definitely come off as disingenuous. And I think people are hypersensitive to that right now because we're just getting fed these this type of stuff all the time. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, before we get into the rapid fire, I just want to kind of reverse a little bit and talk about some big, just a quick big picture question here for you, David. Um, you know, obviously uh, you've been solving problems for a very long time. Uh, grasshopper, highly successful telecommunications. Where do you see the future of communication in five years? Because things are changing so fast. What do you see in five years? Yeah. So I, I actually don't think it changes that much. Right. So like people I remember saying 10 years ago, the phone's going away. No, it's not. Right. Email's going away. No, it's not. 
Um, I actually think that those technologies will continue to be stronger and stronger, right? As especially we have less and less connections. So more people communicate on Facebook. The power of the phone is even more important at that point, yeah. right? Um, and email, people complain about it and blah, blah. I think email is the greatest thing ever, right? People would say, oh, only check your email once a day, I think are idiots, right? <laughs> I check my email all day because I can get more done in an hour responding to emails than I can on a one hour phone call. Yes. Right. So if I'm looking to optimize time, email is a great technology if you know how to use it properly. So the people that complain don't know how to use it. Right. So I think these technologies will continue to become stronger and stronger where we'll actually see things like Slack become less and less, even though it's on the rise today. I've seen this happen again and again in companies, right? Slack seems great at first. When you have a few hundred people on it, it is a disaster. Mm. It is a time suck, a productivity suck, a culture suck. It is bad. So we have very specific rules around how we use it. But I, I think the core technologies for communications get stronger, not new ones. That's interesting. I mean, I, I like Slack. I use it, but I've got a small team. You know, I've got, you know, three and a half people, half I won't go into all the technicalities about, but we got three and a half people working. So it works well, but I could definitely see how, holy crap, you can't, I mean, you can't actually get anything done because everything's getting moved around and shipped around. People are tagging. And you have 200 people, like now you get in in the morning and every one of your employees has to think, I got to catch up on 22 channels Ugh. and 400 conversations. And I've now spent half my day catching up on what I missed, which mm. was probably nothing useful, right? So I think the simple rule of, Slack can replace text message or instant messenger for real-time communication. That's fine. No problem. But using it as a replacement for asynchronous communication that previously was on email is a recipe for disaster, right? Like I should be able to batch my email and read it asynchronously and reply asynchronously, pulling the right people in and out without you having to then read all of that junk if it wasn't relevant to you. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of people probably don't even recognize you can filter a lot of your emails and even Gmail has some pretty great integration. You can use something like Zapier to integrate that with other apps yeah. and programs too. Um, or you can hire an assistant to help you out with it. So there's, there's different things you can do. Cool. Awesome. David. So we're talking with David Hauser, davidhauser.com, founder of superfat.com. And before I let you go, David, I got to lay a couple rapid fire questions on here. Are you ready? Tuck, ready. Dialed in, ready to go. Cool. Uh, what is a must-have business-related item for less than 50 bucks? Less than $50. Oh, man. Let me think about that one. Um, honestly, I think for me, the most recent is um, my desktop wireless charger for my phone. Um, I don't know. It was like 15 bucks or whatever. But before that, I always felt like my phone would be uncharged by the end of the day. Now I just drop it on there. It's charged. It's great. Um, I love that. Love that. Speaking of your phone, if there was only one app you could have on your phone, what app would you have? Email, 100%, no question. Love it. What are you using for email, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I use the iPhone email, but um, I use Outlook in general. Um, I, I know it's not cool to like Microsoft, but <laughs> they, they do the best email client, hands down. Yeah, it's a good product. A lot of good integration. Uh, if you had 10 seconds with yourself 10 years ago, what would you say? Uh, spend more time on myself earlier. Okay. If you could only complete one business task for the day, David, what would you do? Oh, it's always my email first. Get to inbox zero. Okay. Okay. So that, is that one of the first things you do in the morning? Are you get straight to meditation and all that? Or are you just, bam, straight yeah. to email? No, no. I, I wish I could say I'm meditating. Like I do practice yoga every morning. I go to the gym every morning, but that's not part of my first routine. Um, I actually do email first. 
I love, honestly, that's what I do. Engaging, seeing out what's going on. So sometimes I feel like the bad guy for saying that. <laughs> it's <laughs> not the cool thing to say, but I'm up at 530. I can process a bunch of emails. I can get through. And so I'll get to the gym and be in, at inbox zero usually. Um, and so that means I start my day in a good spot. Yeah, good for delegation too, starting to see what, what kind of fires you got put out. Okay, final question here for you, David. If you had a billboard message that could reach millions and millions of people, what are you gonna put on your billboard? Eat real whole foods. David said it. I agree with it. David Hauser, thanks so much, brother. Thank you, Mark. Well, there you have it. I hope you're inspired, a little bit smarter, a little bit wiser, a little bit more motivated to go out there and crush it. I know you can do it. I know you got it in you. And listen, as entrepreneurs, sometimes we go through funks. We get a little bit uh, down on ourselves. And, and for me, I know that eating smarter, exercising more definitely helps when I'm in a funk, but also just be a little bit better than you were yesterday. Just be a little bit better. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. You just got to be a little bit better than you were yesterday. And my friends, that compounds. I suffer from this. And I know that when I'm feeling like crap, eating a little bit, exercising, and just being a little bit better than yesterday, um, that works for me. So I hope that works for you. Listen, if you want to connect, hit me up at mark and marksmontmedia.com. With all that said, I love you. Thanks for listening. This is Mark Savant signing off. You've been listening to After Hours Entrepreneur. I'll catch you here next time. Peace.